Welcome to the Messianic Media Podcast, a discussion of Messianic, Christian, and secular artistic works with David and Mark. Welcome to the Messianic Media Podcast, bringing you the latest in Messianic music, video, and art with your host, David Kasdan. Here we are in the debut episode of the Messianic Media Podcast. Messianic Jews are Jews that are followers of Yeshua, also known as Jesus, who is the Messiah and Son of God. This podcast is about Messianic believers and the artwork they create. Let's go to new releases. For new releases, I'll cover new releases as they come out, and also cover some of the releases from earlier in 2012. Britta Kay just released her first album, titled Quoth. An interview with her is coming up soon. My band, The Pear Republic, just released our self-titled first album. The Pear Republic is a punk and grunge collaboration between myself in Chicago and Mark Erickson in the Bay Area of California. We're also two former members of the Messianic rock band Netzer. This new album includes creative covers of Joel Chernoff's Blessed Be the Lord God, Stuart Dowerman's Trees of the Field, as well as other original songs. The album is now available on iTunes and Amazon. The physical CD can be ordered on cdbaby.com, and you can visit that site for a free mp3. Navi is a folk rock group from the Chicago area. They recently released their first full-length album titled Where We Are. This album is available on iTunes, Amazon, and cdbaby.com. That's it for new releases this episode. Contact me to add more information about new and recent releases. Now for the interview with Britta Kay, a Los Angeles area musician. I'm here with uh, Britta Kay. I first heard about your music uh, when you recorded uh, 30 songs in uh, 30 days. Uh, What inspired you to do this? Well, I knew that I really, really wanted to work on my songwriting skills, and I had done some songwriting work, mostly liturgical stuff, but I wanted to start writing other kinds of music, and... um, I really just knew I needed I needed basically to get my butt in the chair and get working. And it's really hard. I mean, sometimes as a lone creative person, it's hard to get yourself, you know, disciplined to sit down and do it. So I said, okay, fine. Crazy idea. I will write 30 songs in 30 days. I made a bunch of prompts for myself, and I blogged it to sort of keep myself accountable. And it was a really super helpful experience for me as a songwriter. Okay. Was there anything in particular um... – as far as expanding your musical horizons, um, such as new instruments or new genres of music? I definitely tried various genres. I mean, a couple of my self-assignments were write a country song, uh, you know, write a, what was the other one? Write a a neo-Motown kind of song, um, which I happen to really like both of those songs, even though I'm not going to go into those genres. Um, It was just helpful to try to expand my horizons of maybe what I was also writing about, um, to really push myself to write about subjects that perhaps I hadn't written about before. Yeah, I think, um, I wish that I had picked up some new instruments. I, I did actually start um, playing around with using my voice on multiple tracks on the same uh, on the same song. So I've been known to get up to four or five of me on a given track, and part of that is just me playing around. And I think that might have started on the 30 Days thing, or definitely got, you know, more into that on the 30 Okay, days. so um, some layering. yeah. I love to do, you know, several different harmonies at the same time or almost descant-like things in the back. I just have a lot of fun with that. 
Because I tend to write, sometimes I write with a piano in front of me, but a lot of times I don't. And so I have to find a way to kind of build a soundscape. So that's, I often just think of, oh, okay, well, I'll just do that then. I'll just, you know, use my voice as its own soundscape. Excellent. Um, so you mentioned that you um, did some liturgical works. Um, were you involved uh, in with liturgy at a Messianic synagogue? Uh, yeah, at several. I started at uh, Beth Emunah um, Synagogue in um, Agoura Hills, California, which is a little bit north of L.A. It's the very tip of uh, L.A. County. And um, Rabbi Marie Silverling was really, really instrumental in my development as a liturgist, um, partially, I mean, really, because he gives me a lot, a lot of independence when I work with him. You know, he really is great about, hey, there's an experiment I want to try, and he'll say, okay, you know. Um, so that was cool. And um, I've worked in a couple of other places, and most notably right now I work um, at Ahavat Zion Messianic Synagogue in Beverly Hills with Rabbi Joshua Brumbach, who is also really, really wonderfully permissive in what I do. And um, yeah, it's been really an amazing experience to serve that community this way. They're, they're very much a, um, a community that uses the Siddur very, very um, thoroughly, and that's really, really fun to work with for me. So I get a lot of inspiration out of the Siddur specifically. Excellent. Um, was there any carryover from the uh, 30 Songs in 30 Days or from your liturgical background in recording uh, your new album, Quoth? I would say yes in a couple of profoundly big ways. Because, um, well, number one, out of the 30 songs, um, partially for genre reasons, I didn't keep certain things, or I'm not using them right now, but there are two songs that I kept out of the 30 days experiment trying to remember if they're in quotes, but they're certainly in my current repertoire that I play. So definitely in my current, you know, work, there's a couple, but, um, but what's interesting is I really understand my new work as a sort of broadening of my, my old work that my liturgical work, you know, is meant for the edification of, Jewish believers and Messianic Gentiles in worship together. Um, it's meant to, you know, be both spiritual formation for us and for others. But what I tend to do in a synagogue, I think my job is to kind of be some kind of a, someone who provokes the soul to wake up, someone who tries to get people to question, you know, spiritually question, to engage things that might be a little bit hard um, engage things that are really ecstatic and really to try to open people up to God. And I actually see my new work, this album, Quoth, but also my work in general as I'm starting to go out and play quote-unquote secular gigs as an extension of that same thing. I want to call people to spiritual awakening and to questioning and um, everything from forgiveness to conviction to looking at their own relationships broken and healed and everything in between. So, yeah. It has very direct implications, and it took me a long time to figure it out, that this is the same work, slightly different. But yeah, I, I had a friend at a recent concert of mine say, you know, your secular stuff isn't that different than your religious stuff. And I said, yeah, you're right. It's just something that I feel, you know, can be part of a broader conversation, if you will. How would you describe uh, uh, your style musically, especially on your uh, recent album? Would you say that it's uh, a singer-songwriter, or does it go in a different direction than that? I think that I would characterize it a little more in the indie folk category, which is related. I mean, singer-songwriter is sort of an odd thing I try to wrap my head around sometimes. 
Um, I think the sometimes singer songwriter is, um, is it isn't always this, but often it's code for girl and a piano. <laughs> mm-hmm. There, there are also men that do it, but but often with the piano. And um, I see my work as a little bit more fitting in with, um, sort of an indie light folk rock aesthetic, if if that makes sense. It's definitely sort of finding its way because I know that there's one piece on on the album that is a very heavy waltz. Um, and when I hear it in my head with the instruments I'd like to have, it's going to have almost a gypsy violin thing happening eventually. Uh, another track that I could think of is just really almost a sort of bossa nova beat. And I played it recently with um, this Congo player, Congo player that was amazing. I definitely have global sensibilities too, that there are these, these different influences that are going to come out in my work at different times. So yeah, I, I would almost sort of lightly indie folk <laughs> you're a participant at the Asheville uh, music festival can you tell me about that oh there's so much to tell what about it um it definitely was was rainy and muddy and awesome that way um I think the majority of us actually found that pretty cool um it was it was really really cool there, there were two stages one of them they called it the field stage but we were like come on that's the main stage I think we all knew that and uh, it was a bigger stage, and they did, you know, full sound checks, and it was a very different experience. But a lot of my friends on the field stage actually talked about, you know, sound problems and that they couldn't hear themselves well. We were over on the lake stage, um, a lot of the more acoustic-y kind of people, and a lot of us commented on how much we loved the feeling of that stage and the sound of it. Um, it was beautiful. It was in the, you know, lower Appalachian Mountains, a gorgeous lake behind us. You could actually hear the music um, echoing across the lake as I found out the next day. And um, it was just really, really a wonderful time. We met a lot of different people from a lot of different messianic backgrounds. Um, and I think that I know that I had a couple interactions that were even very healing of uh, me meeting people from groups that perhaps I had not had the best view of before or, and, or them of me and, and where I'm from. Um, especially people that are interested in quote-unquote liturgy and quote-unquote praise and worship sometimes don't interact. And so it was really cool to have all of us hanging out and listening to each other's music. And I think there was a really appreciative quality that really permeated that event. Um, it was really a great experience. I, you know, I know that the crew has said they only wanted to do it once, but I really wish they'd do it again or inspire another group to do the same thing, the same kind of thing. But um, it was a blast. I loved it. Could you tell us a little about some of the uh, quote-unquote secular performances or some of the other uh, performances that you've done? I mean, I'm still just starting to do local gigs right now. Um, I'm not doing, you know, huge things. I've been sort of testing it in coffee shops more than anything else. I tend to like small venues, and so I really begin to gauge what's working and what isn't working on, on that level. So, yeah of my stuff I haven't booked you know any bigger concerts or but I'm really hoping now that I feel that I have repertoire of music that I can say yes these are originals I intend to get out there a lot more and I'm about to expand that in a very big way okay um you have said that you're using this album to uh fundraise for travels um can you tell us a little about that yeah I uh I just put out this uh rough cut album quoth uh 
last week because I decided very recently that I was going to go to Dublin, Ireland this fall for a couple of months and literally just play music, get out there and play as many open mics as I can, network, meet people, and jam with as many musicians as I can. Um, a, a, most of my favorite, favorite music comes out of Dublin. I'll, I have lots of influences, you know, sort of, I have a global sense to my music, but nonetheless, the top, top people for me somehow all inexplicably come from Dublin, from the indie folk scene there. And so I'm intrigued to go learn from that and to participate in it. And who knows, I might get to collaborate with somebody I, I really, really like or somebody I discover and I just realized that my music needed that time and space to uh, mature and for me to get out. It's really a good way for me to start gigging. It's an excellent market for the kind of stuff that I do. So I, I kind of want to test drive it there and see what happens. I'm very excited about it, and I'm leaving very, very soon. Where is um, uh, Quoth available? Quoth is currently available uh, via my website, which I do believe is www.scottarani, which is an interesting, you know, it's one of my friends' websites, uh, slash Britta slash Britta Gobrach. It's kind of a mouthful. But you can also email me at I am Britta K, B R I T T A K, at email.com if you'd like to order one, and I can certainly get that to you. We're only going to be doing the special edition for the next few days, potentially. And then I hope, I actually hope to have it up on iTunes and CD Baby. So there will be other digital options within the next probably week. Excellent. Uh, we'll be back after this quick break. This episode of Messianic Media is sponsored by David Kasdan Videography. In addition to hosting this podcast, I am also an experienced videographer and editor. I'm an affordable wedding and event videographer. I am based out of Chicago, but can travel all across the country. I've also filmed business videos and autobiographical videos called My Life Story. For more information, go to www.davidkasdan.com. That's K-A-S as in Samuel, D as in David, A, N as in Nancy. You can also email me at davidkasdan at gmail.com. I'm back with uh, Britta Kay. Can you tell us about the song that we're going to play at the end of this recording um, from your album, Quoth? This is a song called Like I Believe that I wrote for somebody who's just been working really, really hard. They've been really busy and really frazzled. And I wanted to write an encouragement song that really, you know, hopefully help them get to the finish line on all these projects that they're doing. Um, I really like the piece. It's, it sort of has this very... Um, uh, PC piano feel to it and um, as a musician I've, as a singer I've often sung most things in my lower register people think of me as an alto but I've really started to explore my upper register and this song is almost entirely up and I actually really really love this vocal it's, it's unusual and I might do a little bit more of this so yeah okay and once again the um, album is available online
other side, victorious and strong. Fasten yourself to the mast, adjust the sails, and navigate the storm. It will not take you long. Believe like I believe in you. I believe implicitly that you will finish mightily. Allow me to You're listening to the Messianic Media Podcast. My second interview is with Nathan Salvaggio, a Chicago-based Messianic musician. Could you tell us a little about uh, your spiritual background? Yeah, I was basically originally raised in a Messianic congregation at Dallas Tikva, 
in Chicago. And uh, my father, who's Gentile, converted to that and then became a pastor of a non-denominational church and uh, basically grew up with both, but we transitioned to the church. And then as I got older, I went back to the Messianic community for a while and then went back to the church after that. Um, what would you say are, are some of the aspects that, that you like from both the church and the Messianic uh, movement? You know, I think both are very important, and in my eyes, have always coincided together. Um, they're both a part of the same body. Um, Messianic Judaism basically is a denomination of the church, and I think both have um, positive things ab about each um, they're obviously very different in many ways, but uh, they come together um, quite well. Um, when did you start uh, playing an instrument, and uh, what instruments can you play? I didn't start until I was in high school. Um, I was in concert band at Von Steuben High School, and I started on the baritone horn, which is in the low brass family. I then transitioned to the trombone by my senior year, and, uh, and then my junior year of college is when I started picking up the bass guitar. Um, the trombone is what got me to college originally, and I was originally a music education major for a year and a half, um, primarily on the trombone. What school did you go to? Um, I started out at Vandercook College of Music, a music education conservatory in Chicago, and then I transitioned um, to Western Illinois University and um, continued to do music at the college level there. Okay, um, how did you... Uh, transition to bass guitar and uh, why did you choose uh, bass guitar over uh, regular guitar? Yeah, I, I started to realize that uh, you know opportunities in the, on the trombone and with classical and jazz music are far and few between nowadays and as I switched out of the music major and got into social work I had more time to explore other instruments and I realized the bass is just a very uh, opportunistic instrument for myself. Um, I chose that over the guitar um, really just because I realized that um, I could see more of a vision for myself on the bass. I, I actually tried to get into guitar before bass and just knew that um, the bass was more up my alley, more for me, and um, that I just wanted to completely focus on that for the long term. Okay, well if uh, let's say someone was uh you know, trying to start a band, but they didn't know what instrument would, that they wanted to play. Is there, would, is there reasons to choose a bass over the guitar or reasons to choose a guitar over bass? That's a good question. I, I think that's all really up to the individual. I don't think me or someone else should be able to tell someone what to pick. Um, you obviously need guitar players. You obviously need basses, piano players. Um, you need people for each instrument. It's just got to be the right instrument for that person and vice versa. Uh, what I will say about the bass is it really sticks out um, compared to the guitar where really everybody wants to play the guitar. Everybody's a singer-songwriter nowadays. Uh, everybody's a front man. Um, the bass is an instrument where, uh, to me, it's, it's always been, it's not an easy instrument, but for me it's easier than um, maybe the guitar or something like that. Uh, but it also sticks out more. There's not as many people playing the bass at the pro level as the guitar. And you need a bass for every band. Any any band that um, any band that has a, a drum, a drummer needs a bass player. Have you played a bass guitar 
in either a Christian setting or in a Messianic setting? I played at three uh, UMJC conferences uh, for the Messianic movement. I played uh, in the 2006 um, UMJC conference in Virginia. I played in the 08 conference in Jerusalem. And I did a young adult conference in the Chicago area in Skokie. Um, I also played several times for Devar Met Messianic Synagogue uh, in the past. Uh, recently, I was a part of Harvest Bible Chapel and, and their worship team there in the Niles campus and um, played uh, many times in, in just a short amount of time. Um, I've, I've played for Vacation Bible Schools at a covenant church called Edgeburg Covenant in Chicago. And I've also was a part of InterVarsity for uh, about two and a half years during college and was their bass player for uh, that whole time. And uh, here and there I've done other things. Um, I also played bass for a gospel choir uh, called UVAL at Western Illinois University. And um, kind of did a little bit of many different things um, across the board in uh, different Christian denominations as well as Messianic communities. Were the groups year-round? Um, was it uh, would you guys have to, you know, practice and play, you know, once a week, or were performances and practice, um, you know, less rare? Yeah, it, it was always um, it was always meant to be an ongoing thing. Um, you know, people for whatever reasons always leave different things from time to time. But um, yeah, especially with university, it was it was a uh, always throughout the school year we would meet and have a formal practice every week and and play every week. Um, basically just do that throughout the school year. Um, same with Uval for the time I was with them. Um, the gospel choir wasn't with them for too long. Um, but yeah, basically it was always a consistent thing. Uh, when I was at Harvest, uh, we would play, come together and rehearse at 2 o'clock on a Saturday, play at their service at 5 p.m. that evening, and the next day play two more services. Sometimes I play five services in one weekend with three different rehearsals. So it always just really depends. But um, I am very much used to um, kind of going through the grind, so to speak, on a, on a weekly and daily basis. Was there any differences uh, between playing for uh, smaller groups or playing for large groups? Um, yeah, Uva was definitely, um, yeah, it was like a 25-piece uh, choral. And we had a three-piece uh, rhythm section. And you're right, we, we played in very large um, uh, African-American churches where you would get about a thousand a service. Um, and then, that's, you know, that's quite a contrast to a Messianic synagogue where you're playing maybe in front of 30 people, 35. Um, and then, of course, the band would be smaller. Um, and, and that's just, I just think that's just um, what's always been great for my my musical makeup is just doing doing different things and you're know, just having versatility and variety um, you can never go wrong with that and uh, it's always great to see the differences with uh, those types of things. When you played for uh, Messianic uh, conferences was it um, different you know different individuals from different teams and you had a short time period to get everything together? Yeah it was basically a mix of both. Um, I remember I remember the UMGC conference in Jerusalem. It was one of those things where I wasn't supposed to play. I was just on a three-week trip to Israel anyway, and our group from Devar at the time uh, was going to go to the conference. And it was like a week before, and I, um, I didn't bring my equipment. And uh, I remember the rabbi's daughter said, Nate, we need you to play bass. Uh, whoever was supposed to play couldn't make it or something like that. 
and so they had a base for me and it was just one of those things you kind of have to make up as you go along um, so to speak um, I knew the girl that girl who was in the band but everybody else was from uh, various parts of of the country and we just had to get together and play music and uh, it always worked out because you know music is a universal language um, if you're a serious level um, strong musician you're going to be able to relate to other people uh, through that language and so it yeah it was a great experience to go through but usually that happens quite a bit and it, and it works out were you only sticking to songs that all of you have played before or was it even or were you also throwing in songs that uh, you know people might have heard several times but not necessarily played or were there songs that you ended up uh, playing that you had to uh, you know kind of play conservatively the first time because you hadn't really heard them yeah again kind of a, a mesh of that um, yeah we, we didn't really go by who knows what or what you're more familiar with um, it was really just a matter of you know these are songs we're playing let's run through them uh, let's you know get familiar as a group just to you know get tight together with the time we had um, but yeah it was a matter of these are songs we need to play and if you don't know them you just uh, you know just tighten your chops your musical chops so to speak um, but yeah you always kind of get a mix of, of, of those types of uh, situations when you when you're in a group where you know maybe you're not used to playing with those people or that style but again, it always it always works. It usually works. I think I think a lot of time and energy in general definitely goes into music, but it's all about that one hour performance or so, where it's all it's all about that. Um, could you tell us a little about the conference in Israel? Um, so you did mention that you it was part of a three week tour. Um, was the conference ongoing during the entire thing, or was it a, a shorter piece where people came together? Uh, the conference itself was a part of I believe like a two-week tour that most of the most of the members were a part of um, our group was we kind of did our own tour and we we kind of met along the way we just we were there for the the four-day it was a four-day conference um, and then we parted ways from from uh, the rest of the band the rest of the people um, and like I said the, the vast majority of the people of that conference I believe did they were kind of on their own large tour uh, the the four day conference was was just yeah it was one part of our overall trip. So was there any uh, experiences that you had um, in Israel outside of the conference that you'd like to share? Sure. Um, yeah, I mean Israel is just beautiful in general. Um, there was my second trip the year before I went for the first time, and um, every time you go, in my eyes, you just have to see the whole country. It's just. Uh, Really, there's no negatives uh, when I look back to my time in Israel. Um, I think something that sticks out is um, probably being in Masada and just overlooking just the vastness of the desert and uh, just being there when the sun rises is one of the most beautiful uh, things I've ever seen. Um, that's actually my main picture on Facebook right now is is just the sunset or 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 the sunrise rather um, over Masada is just you don't get that in America and it's just yeah it's 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 our homeland I always look at it that way it's a great country and it's got so much to offer um, socially and culturally have you uh, done any uh, um, touring concerts or um, has everything been pretty much um, in you know where you were I've done some uh, kind of like short road trips for music. Um, I mentioned playing in Virginia 
for the UMJC 06 conference. Um, I played in Oklahoma for a, a university band, comp, um, band trip. Um, I was close to touring with Jews for Jesus uh, with their Liberty Wailing Wall a couple years ago. And, uh, you know, I've, I've always pursued things like that. And I'll continue to keep trying uh, different ventures like that as well. Um, but in terms of an official tour, I haven't been able to do that yet. But I've, I've been pretty close a couple times. So you, we've talked a little about um, the bands that you've played in the, the past. Um, what are your future plans for playing bass guitar? Um, well, as most young musicians, the main goal is just to, you know, seize hold of the right opportunity and just to play as long as I can and, and at the highest level that I could obtain. That's generally the, the main goal. Um, right now I've been auditioning with local bands of all different kind of genres, um, some of whom I've made, just not the right fit musically. But, um, yeah, it's just a matter of just kind of searching and searching until you can get there. And uh, it's one of those you know, one of those kind of win and die trying type of a uh, mindset. Just, just get there till you keep keep going till you get there. Basically, if uh, someone's listening to this and is interested in you in contacting you regarding um, playing, um, you know, for a band or starting a band, um, how would they get in touch with you? Um, you can just give me an e- email at nate215 n a t e two one five at ameritech.net. That's probably the best way to get a hold of me. Okay, excellent. Well, it was good to talk to you, uh, Nathan. Same here, Dave. Thanks so much. Okay, thanks. Thank you for listening to this debut podcast. Send comments or voice messages in MP3 format to davidkasdan at gmail.com or through Facebook at facebook.com slash messianicmedia. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and any reviews would be appreciated. I'm also looking for sponsors and donations for future podcasts. Until next time, this has been David Kasdan. This episode is copyrighted by Messianic Media Podcast. Intro and outro music by The Pair Republic. www.facebook.com slash The Pair Republic. Any other music copyright their respective holders. <laughs>